You're listening to the Embroidery Podcast. I'm your host, Masako Newton. Becky, Mark, and I would like to welcome you to the season two. Even though we don't have COVID restrictions, we are still recording remotely with a video call. The topic of this episode is thread painting, also known as needle painting, because we have received many questions about this topic from the listeners. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about thread painting. Marg has published a book called Thread Painting and Silk Shading Embroidery from Crowwood. So we can ask her a lot about uh, thread painting today. And Becky also is going to tell us hints and tips on thread painting. Here's Marg. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Here's Becky. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the new season. Thank you, Becky. So, yeah, we're talking about thread painting or painting with the needle, but we were just um, talking about the fact that it maybe has some other, you can refer to it in other ways, um, like long and short, which refers to the length of the stitch. Um, and also some people know it as silk shading, which is a little bit confusing because you don't always use silk, but we can maybe expand on that. Yeah. Do you use a silk thread, Mark? Uh, I do use silk thread. So... If I was using silk thread, I would call it silk shading, but I wouldn't otherwise because if, yeah. I'm, using, if I'm using a different thread, I wouldn't call it silk shading. Yeah, because uh, I usually use the stranded cotton. Yeah, <laughs> I mostly use stranded cotton, um, but I also use really fine silk floss, um, the finest that I can sort of easily get hold of. And I usually don't mix. So if I use silk in a embroidery, I'd mm. just use silk. Or if I use stranded cotton, it would just be stranded cotton or even a fine wool I would use. So really fine wool. And then I guess you could call it crawl work if you use wool. So it's all very confusing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I guess like you were saying, Marg, if you Google it, if you put in thread painting. Yeah. Um, yeah. that will get you a lot of results yeah thread so, painting and like you said painting with a needle needle painting long and short embroidery I guess is all very much the same thing and all of that you can use different threads for so mm. whatever is your preference I guess yeah I like it uh you know when you said painting with a needle oh, it is yeah. painting with a needle isn't it yeah 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 but uh, i have a problem with long and short i think long and short it's just too restricted i would call it long and longer or you know it's <laughs> <laughs> because i i don't really do long and short long and short long and short like methodically yeah i mean i suppose um Usually long and short refers to the first row that you do in an area. Mm. So for, for if we just quickly, the people listening, run through maybe how we would do long and short. Um, so generally we might put, if we were doing an area of, of long and short stitch, maybe we'd put an outline around it in split stitch, really small split stitch. 
and that would be covered up when you do the long and short. So you don't see it at the end. And then the first row you do that covers the split stitch, that would be maybe long and short or long and longer. Mm. And then all the rest of the stitches that you do in an area, once you've covered that outline, that um, they're probably all similar length. It just depends where you bring them up and the placement of them. Would you agree with that? Yeah. 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 Second rows onwards, it's same length. About mm. I usually use about yeah. one cm. It's about the same. But because mm. when you come up is in the various points, mm. that looks, you know, it's the staggered. Yeah. But it's the same length, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. You're sort of because you're overlapping stitches. Mm. Exactly. Like you say, if you come up higher in one and lower in another, it means you'll go down in different places. If yeah. they're the same size. Yeah. It's just, it's about not getting like straight rows, isn't mm. it? Sort of making it look more organic. Kind of. Yeah, I guess I find it quite interesting, Masako, that you said you found it quite restrictive, whereas for me, I feel it's the most free of all the embroidery techniques mm -hmm. I've learned. I just think it's completely free because I can just, in my head, go where I want, do what I want, <laughs> use whatever colour I want, and it's completely free and I can just go, go wild. But I do understand that people sometimes have a bit of a fear of long and short mm -hmm. stitch or thread painting in terms of looking and thinking well how do you how do you make a whole picture out of straight stitches so it looks like a painting and I kind of understand that mystery mm -hmm. around it mm -hmm. it does have a mystery because it's not always completely obvious how you achieve your final embroidery yeah. compared to other things where you can see individual stitches and you think oh yeah you you go in a certain direction or mm -hmm. you, you follow instructions in a book and you can create a stitch I think long and short stitch is is still a bit of a a, a fear or worry or mystery to people do you yeah. think yeah I I, I totally okay. agree with you uh, you know, it's very free. The way it's named, long and short stitch, sounds like you have to use long stitch and short stitch, long mm. stitch and short stitch. That to me, it's too restricted. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not really using long mm. and short and long and short. I'm using, you know, like I said, long and longer or long, long or, you know. <laughs> It's to me, it's long and short stitch is not the correct name. I agree. I think it's probably um, maybe an old fashioned way of describing it in some of the books. You know, a lot yeah. of it was quite regimented. So you'd see stitch illustrations where <clears throat> the whole area was long and short, mm. where in reality, it's a bit, it's not really like that. Anymore. I suppose it's frightening to some people in that it hasn't got so much of a structure it's, it's mm. just like a free you know like you do a watercolor or something it's more expressive and um that maybe is off putting because it isn't something you can just follow in a book there's there's probably well there are right and wrong ways i suppose but it is much more um creative i suppose and mm. like you say less structured and more about your um, artistic 
um, translation of the, whatever you're stitching, if that makes sense. But Yeah, I think people can do their own style, can't yeah. they? So, it, you know, people have um, done amazing different portraits with different materials or, or a certain colour combination and, you know, find it quite expressive way of um, doing embroidery. I think yeah I guess if no if if any the listeners are confused about um how you create this amazing quite realistic depiction of a thing um I mean as we were saying it's like building up rows not I say rows in a loose term <laughs> um areas of stitches that are all these different lengths and you can blend um, colours and tones through really subtly and create kind of a 3D like photorealist image if you want um, um, often it's seen like you see lots of flowers don't you and like animals and like Marg was saying sometimes portraits even um, like birds are very popular um, I guess traditionally you see flowers a lot in this technique yeah I mean if we go back to um I guess the Victorians and the arts and crafts movement oh, yeah. loads and loads along the shore um the Morris company would do kits with long and short stitching and kind of also surface darning so a bit of both yeah. um loads of Victorian church embroidery had long and short yeah um, with with silk so I guess then it would be called silk shading so um yeah I guess it's it's kind of gone on um and carried on and is still really popular yeah. today yeah lots of people want to learn it I think yeah yeah um, classes and things mm. um I just love the you know it's so you can be quite dramatic with the colour change, I suppose it just depends on the subject matter, but the way the stitch works, um, you can be really subtle in the blending of your colours, can't you? And Yeah. Oh, that's one of the questions uh, here. Um, it says, what's the hints and tips for colour blending? <laughs> Do you have any hints and tips to share, Mark? Um, colour blending. Well, if uh, if your colors are too different so for example if you were doing a subtle shading of something like a flower if your colors were too different like light and dark together you'd get quite a lot of stripes so you, it would look stripy uh, so it would be good if you had colors that were quite similar in their light or dark so in their tone so if you had a few light colors blended that would be more successful than mixing all your colors up together I suppose I've oversimplified it there but in the same way if you were doing an animal or a bird you might want to have light and dark and media next to each other to get a bit texture and to get it kind of looking a bit more furry or hairy so it depends on your subject I suppose how you blend um, I quite like using one strand in my needle whether that's stranded cotton or silk or wool, I like one strand. So I would do one stitch with one color and the next stitch with another color, but you could 
have more than one color in your needle so you could use two strands and put two similar colors next to each other which would give a much more subtle shade but obviously that's a bit thicker but that's okay if that's the effect you wanted you could you could use thick wool and do um you know thread painting and needle painting so it depends on the effect you want and how sort of choppy you want it are there so you're saying about more texture saying like doing fur or something is there a different process that you can use so i usually if it's kind of a very furry animal with lots of you know different direction to its fur sometimes i would go down into the previous row with my needle rather than coming up so it kind of gives a more choppy effect yeah. and usually then the angle changes a bit more so you get this kind of you know like an animal fur it's not all just very smooth yeah. there is this kind of change of direction so if you're going down into your stitch it kind of helps give that choppier look mm -hmm. I hope this is all making sense to everyone <laughs> <laughs> sure. but we can we can put some pictures up on instagram if you're confused about what we're saying and <laughs> no, that's yeah i like that it can be very smooth and subtle or you you know you can create more texture with it as well depending on your colors and stitch direction and um doing it almost like backwards and not yeah. coming up splitting because I don't know if you mentioned you come up through so you split the stitch from the previous area that you've done whereas you can Marg you're saying you can go down into it and that somehow creates a more choppy effect which is good yeah, yeah for animal yeah. Or hair yeah. or something yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I usually use you know I usually come up the previous row for the flowers or something mm. really flat and smooth mm. but for the animals mm -hmm. usually you know I still do come up from the previous row but sometimes I go back you know it's like a, <laughs> it's it like up. a yeah <laughs> breaking rules <laughs> well I do think that people shouldn't be too hung up on the rules you know yeah. it kind of it's really restrictive if you think oh I can't do that or I've accidentally done it the wrong way at the end of the day it's quite an artistic embroidery mm -hmm. technique so it's it's I think people shouldn't be too oh no I've just done that row backwards it's okay if it looks yeah. fine then it should be you know I think easy to break the rule if if there is such a thing <laughs> Well, you know, that's another thing, you know, some people think there's a rule for, for thread painting or there's a, you know, it's not really, is it? It's, right. it's you can, you can paint as you like. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there's a certain effect you want to get, there are kind of things you can do. But if you've got your own ideas, I think that's what's quite nice about it. People just go for it and do, and do what they feel. Bit like painting. Personal, yeah, it's your own style then. Mm. Yeah, like you say, like painting or whatever. Mm. You wouldn't want to copy, you know, someone else's style of painting, I suppose. No, no. Um, and what, if someone was like <clears throat> a beginner to it, um, we were talking about sort of, say you wanted to do a flower um, that certain types of subject might not be suitable if you're just starting out 
Um, so something like a flower with lots of little petals, you can't really get into the mm, flow of the stitch, yeah. can you? And, yeah. Um, I don't know what you think. I think something like a pansy is really easy to start oh, yeah, with. Yeah. And I do loads of pansies, so you'd think that like, I've moved on from it, but I haven't. Um, so pansies are good because they've got big, big petals. Also, they've got really lovely markings. So you can go from like one colour and then it's complete contrast where they've got those big sort of faces, you know, with a dark bit in the middle. And the angles are very easy on a pansy. So that would be good or yeah. a poppy, something like a poppy that doesn't have too many petals. Tulip. Tulip is also good. They've got nice big leaves and stems and petals. Tulips yeah. are good, yeah. Also nice colours. Yeah. yeah. So That's really nice colours there. Yeah. 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 You can kind of do whatever colour you want, can't you, with sort of some of those flowers. Mm. I did um, a fritillary when I did the apprenticeship, which is probably a mistake because of the, you know, it has, it's a snake's head fritillary with the little checkerboard, checkerboard yeah. on it. Um, so it made it, in the end, I did sort of like the, the main background almost and then put the little checkerboards on the top and it, it worked okay, but I suppose you could really scale it up, you know, mm. to it much bigger than life size and that would work in doing the checkerboard in if that makes sense in the the whole stitch yeah, if that yeah. Makes sense, but rather than doing the little checkerboard on top after but um you know i enjoyed it <laughs> so you mean you put the checkerboard stitch over the long and short stitches yeah that's right so i did like long and short stitch for you know like the shape of a petal almost like the background and then put the pattern on oh. on top so just like with, with smaller little almost like satin stitches I suppose <clears throat> I haven't looked at it for a long time can I see a picture sometime you know yeah. then maybe you can put it on the uh, Instagram <laughs> it was the first time I did silk shading so yeah, it's not perfect in any way. Oh, <laughs> not that, although we were talking about, you know, so you can't go wrong. Exactly. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> okay, uh, next question is, what is your favourite thread to use for thread painting? Um, stranded cotton, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. First, it's easy to use, although I love silk and how it looks. Silk does catch on my hands if I haven't put hand cream on, which is mostly. So I would say stranded cotton because it's cheap, easy to get, loads of colours. And if you get enough, you know, you can get different ranges. I'm not going to mention the ranges, but we all know there's like quite a few different ranges. Um, you can get every colour you need almost, um, apart from really dark grey. So I will put that in case anyone from the thread people are listening. <laughs> Um, I would like a colour between black and dark grey, please. So, you know, not just, <laughs> it's a massive jump and that really annoys me, um, yeah. as my students will vouch. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do I do love using silk, but I have to have smooth hands and use hand cream. So that's my preference. Becky, what do you um, use? I was just going to ask, is it um, silk floss? Yeah, sorry, yes. So it's um, not twisted, it's 
And that's really so, hard to catch, isn't it? Yeah, I really like the silk floss. So I use the really fine silk floss, which is available. Lots of different companies now are doing silk floss and you can get different weights of it. I like using the very fine silk floss and I use a slightly bigger needle to use to do the silk floss um, so that it makes a bit of a hole in the fabric oh, yeah. so even though it's very thin if you use a small needle it can kind of drag through and then you're changing your thread all the time and it catches on the material so um, I guess that's another reason why I don't use it so much because I don't kind of like the big holes coming up in my embroidery so um, but it's necessary so that um it doesn't get fluffy no yeah yeah mm -hmm. i guess if i used super fine fabric and very transparent fabric that wouldn't mm -hmm. happen mm -hmm. so because i use different kinds of fabrics it probably doesn't suit me to use it so much so that's why so this leads to the next question is how do you store your thread if you have so many colors <laughs> do you sort out by color or do you have the whole range in by number or how do you how well do you... i'm gonna i'm gonna throw that question back at you masako <laughs> oh, I, I remember when i was at yours one <laughs> tell us about your certain red uh container because it's amazing yeah, well, you know, I have I have the whole range of colors because you know when you make embroidery kits or when you are preparing something for, you know, not for yourself but for someone else, and then you really need the whole range, and then you need to go by number, because I have the shade card, and then you have a number to go with. So that's how I store for one set. But for myself, I have a box for reds and a box for greens and box. For, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter which brand or it's like a painter has the paint for red or paint for blue. You know, mm -hmm. I have the box of bluish color here, grainish color here. And so that's how I sort out my thread. And are they, do you keep them in the skeins or do you? Oh, you know, um, I have to organize myself oh. more, but my boxes are like bird nests. Okay, oh, I like that, yeah. <laughs> Creative mess, yeah. How about you, Becky? Well, I don't do silk shading that much, but I'm, I must admit I have got one of those bird's nest boxes. So mm. when I've used stranded cotton with metals, so mm. like the couching, um, initially I'll go through this, like tip this box of stranded cottons out on, this is embarrassing, on the mm. table and I'll, I will probably find one that suits. Um, but but that means... Like, that oh, means you, your box is like uh, you keep the threads per project. Okay, I use these colors for this project, and then you keep keep yeah, it that way. I'll, yeah, I'll set them aside, and then because normally I'm doing it for kits. So yeah, once I've decided on the color, then I just buy a load, and I just keep them in the the box the manufacturer mm -hmm. buys. Um, that's all. I don't do anything fancy with them because I just put a skein in the kit, you know, so just, they're just all in their original boxes. Um, but I don't, I'm not very good at organizing them for 
you know when I'm working something out I yeah it's just like a box full of all colors <laughs> I know that's shocking <laughs> okay I'm not, I'm not using them for silk shading so much yeah that's right um, yeah yeah well what about you Mark um it's kind of interesting hearing you both because I'm quite a messy worker so when I'm working I usually have a bird's nest on my frame and I just pull whichever color however my storage is in I do love actually Becky and Masco can probably see on my oh I can see oh that's beautiful it's very tidy loads of drawers and boxes and my stranded cottons are in uh, color and so all different brands all together. So for me, it's about color and I keep them all in their color groups. And I have uh, a box with super new, almost used threads, stranded cottons. And then another box drawer um, with very used up stranded cottons. Mm -hmm. And I just replenish as I need to. And yeah, when I work, I'm messy. And then, but when I store it, it all has to be in colour so that when I start a project, I go by colour and, yeah. Makes it easier to, um, you know, you can easily pick out what you need then. I yeah, suppose. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess also I keep, so I'd keep my thin walls all together, my medium walls together. I'm quite, yeah, I'm quite messy, but not in my organisation of my threads and beads actually I don't know why but the rest of them sensible to me yeah. it's like a sort of creative process when you're actually using them yes and yeah the fact that you can just like draw out the right colour from a, a, a sort bundle. Of bundle yeah <laughs> on your frame I think it's amazing <laughs> and you know it's probably always the right shade I don't know I don't know <laughs> I do want pick Sometimes it's the wrong shade and that's really frustrating. So sometimes you have to actually put the stitch, a few stitches in yeah. to see because it changes, doesn't it? Yeah. When the thread is on in a tensioned with the stitch, it can yeah. change the like when you paint a wall, I suppose, yeah. it looks different to in the pot. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> and do you keep, I was just thinking, do you keep all your little offcuts of thread or do you like say you or you end up with a load of bits that you just throw away at the end of your project or uh, I, mm, I don't really have nest. <laughs> bits it's no because uh, no, I keep them on the skein so oh, I know okay. people put them on bobbins or they put them on pegs I would say to anyone listening don't put them on wooden pegs I know it's like a bit of a fashion but oh. it does stain them and the wood gives off acid so it can actually mark it's not good for the thread so how do they put them on pegs i've not seen that oh it just wrapped it around look, the peg yeah to make it look nice for a photo oh, perhaps but actually oh, okay, yeah. not very good for your thread mm -hmm. um so i keep them in the skein actually so i don't really have lots of what you need yeah. from the skein yeah yes yeah, so well i take off one strand so i don't cut oh. six off yeah. so i pull out a length and then I would just separate one strand and cut it so the excess stays on the skein. And I know some people can't do that and that really winds them up and they have to cut off, which is fine. You have to work the best way that's right for you. So I don't tend to have 
bits left because they're always on the skein so I just yeah. chuck them. I don't not chuck them I place them mm -hmm. that's, um, very neatly that's the way to do yeah yeah I suppose yeah yeah I'm the one of the persons who usually has to cut from thumb to elbow that means I have the rest you know, after I pulled out one strand, I have the five strands left. Just sorry, Masako, just yeah. explain to everyone what you mean thumb to elbow so they know what you mean. Oh, from <laughs> thumb to elbow is the length of the thread to use for the thread painting. Because if you keep it short, you keep your thread sheen. It doesn't get tangled or... <laughs> the um, condition of the thread is good oh, yeah. because you're, yeah, you're not, you haven't got this huge long thread that you've taken through millions of times and mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, also it, it makes like you stick. Nobody can exactly. see what I'm doing, but like exactly. Till your arms really high. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it's a good exercise for your arms. Yeah, that's you know, true. But you know, it makes it faster to stitch as well as long as you know this movement. You know? Yeah, that's a good point actually. If you have a short thread, it is faster to stitch, even though you've got to start and finish more but actually it's much quicker than having a great big thread that goes up to the ceiling yeah <laughs> um, yeah that's I've seen well, it I've seen it happen <laughs> and what size needle would you use a 12 is it for as one strand of stranded cotton yes oh, I love using yeah. I've probably mentioned it before I love using a number I love using fine needles so I would use a number 12 mm -hmm. embroidery not sharp um but I try and use the number 12 for everything so you know um but they are very um slim so some people do struggle with um threading a number 12 so I guess um use as fine as you can that makes it easy to thread so some people do use 10 embroidery yeah that's my favorite oh number is it 10. yeah number 10 I yeah, like number it 10, yeah. Yeah. yeah but it's suppose... embroidery not not sharp yeah. yeah and just for people listening embroidery needle means that the eye of the needle is long and a sharp needle means that the eye of the embroidery is quite little and round and small and it's harder to thread so if you've got a longer eye it's mm -hmm. I find it easier to push through so that's why probably we use more embroidery needles than a sharp needle and um, I guess is it the 12 you prefer because it makes less of a hole when you split the stitch? It's not yeah. so visible, yeah. Yeah, it keeps, yeah, so when you come through, because it's such a fine needle, it just kind of comes through and doesn't make a hole, doesn't split between, yeah. you know, you can come right up and it does split the needle, uh, thread, sorry. Um, and I just really like using a fine needle, so I try and yeah. use it for everything, even my normal mm -hmm. sewing, if I'm saying something, I'll try and thread up with a fine needle, even though I don't need to. It's just madness. I <laughs> know. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I know. Madness. <laughs> but Masako, you bought me some needles from Japan. Do you yeah. remember? And you, yeah. I remember you said to me, "No one else will appreciate this, but I oh. bought you these needles, and I can't use them because they're too special." <laughs> Oh, that's a really, really fine needle. And I said, oh, I have to get one for you. <laughs> you know? oh. Like a yeah. beading needle. Oh, I love a beading needle. Mm. Oh, my goodness. So 
Um, oh, I love so fine. Yeah, so I use I've used a number fifteen beading needle, wow. and for people that are listening, that's almost like the finest wire you can imagine. But there's an eye in it to put the thread. <laughs> How do you thread that? Um, I have to use like thread that's like hair. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't put normal polyester or stranded cotton yeah. in it. Um, but they're for beading, so they don't go through fabric usually, although I have tried, trust me. You, it goes through a bead hole, so technically it shouldn't really be used to go through fabric because they will just break, but I love using those. Yeah, because I um, struggled to find, I think you can get a needle threader that goes yeah. through uh, maybe number 10. I don't know about number 12. <laughs> I think there is one and my students do use one. So I'd have to ask them. Um, uh, they use it, I think, for number 12. Um, oh, wow. so maybe I'll have to look, ask them what it is and we can put that on Instagram. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a regular needle thread. It doesn't, I don't think it no. really through a number 10 needle. No, um, no. I will um, investigate that. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Mag, uh, do you use padding for your thread painting? Um, I have sometimes. Generally, if I'm doing, um, you know, a bird or something, I probably wouldn't. Um, I like just kind of making the thread painting look three-dimensional by my shading. So I think that if, you, if you're successful with your shading, you don't need it. But if you're doing something maybe that's a little more stylized, then padding is, is quite nice. So if I was doing a little beetle, for example, that was very small and, you know, didn't have lots of shading in, I might use felt padding. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> How many uh, layers? Oh, I go a bit mad. So like six, seven layers, perhaps. Oh, wow! <laughs> um, That's hard to, make, to stitch through. Yeah, it is quite yeah. hard to stitch through. I mean, there's, you can... Um, if you, if you get really nice felt, you can stitch it. That's why I wouldn't do it for a massive project as well, because it can be it quite, can be quite hard. And if you use too many layers, it looks like quilting. And obviously you want to try and get a smooth effect. So I'd only do it for little things, probably. Bigger things I would try not to, or yeah, because you, you can lose your needle in the middle, as you know. <laughs> you put your needle in and it doesn't come out the other side. When so. um, you use stitches as padding as well or do they yes. just get caught up with your long and short yeah I suppose you could but I guess I, I prefer felt myself yeah. but yes you could I suppose use stitches I do you use um, wool felt yes 100% wool felt uh, one millimeter thick yes oh, yeah mm -hmm. yeah um it is more expensive obviously but it's really beautiful and smooth to use so if you can mm. use wool felt it is nicer than sort of the fluffy polyester yeah that's just yeah. my preference can be a bit yeah it's almost some of them cheaper ones are a bit like a brillo pad oh, yeah they are really yeah. Like, <laughs> it's horrible cleaning yeah. kitchen with it but yeah yeah <laughs> becky do you have any hints and tips for stitch direction um well the way that you would change i don't know if we've touched on this already but the way you change your stitch direction, because obviously each stitch is straight, but because of the overlapping of your stitches, you can just subtly 
change the direction as you do each, as you sort of go along your shape. So it might only be like a millimetre or something um, when you do the next, let's call it a row, um, but it creates a really subtle, you know, like if you were doing a petal and it's curved, um, you can gradually turn it just by changing the direction, obviously, just a millimetre or so each time. And I suppose it's quite important then your stitch length, because if you do them too long, then you're going to get, you're not going to have enough rows in to get the angle round. Does, does, that, does that make sense? I'm not, probably not explaining it very well, but... Um, what do you mean by the length if it's too long? What is the too long length and what is the just right length? <laughs> I suppose it depends on the scale of the design. Yeah. But say, I don't know, you're doing a tulip life size, say yeah. the petals, like, I don't know, three centimetres long. Um, so you probably want, I don't know, I'm just guessing, like five or six rows, would you say, in that? So I'd say, yeah, I'd um, say that's a really good point, Becky, about, you know, if your stitches are too long, you can't change the angle nicely. Yeah. And also, if, if the stitches are too long, your thread would be quite, your stitch would be quite loopy and loose. Yeah, so, that's true. Um, and so, also it depends on the colours, you know, if yeah. you get lots of shades in, if your first row is like, say, if you're just learning and you just use one colour for the first row, but then mix two colours in the second row, you've almost run out of room. Yeah. You know, you've got to the bottom before you've got to your third. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I suppose also the length of the stitch depends on the thickness of the thread if you're using a great big thick wool you would want you could do a longer stitch if you're using yeah. a finer thread you'd have to do a shorter stitch so yeah, I suppose yeah. um that also comes into it as well I suppose it's quite hard it's actually quite hard to explain yeah um, <laughs> it is. a visual as yes. as we can put it on the social media yeah and I suppose also people can ask questions again so you, um, people can direct message us on Facebook and mm -hmm. Instagram and Masako can people message us on the actual Anchor app or yes in Anchor app there's this uh, voice message button so if you click the button and record your message <laughs> then we can hear oh. it yes so people can ask us questions if if we've not yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess because we're used to this technique, um, it's a bit hard to talk about it because we we know what we're doing. But it'd be really interesting to find out if people um want to know a bit more about parts or didn't understand, and perhaps we can answer those um or put pictures up to explain what we mean. Yeah, yeah. I guess we didn't talk about um tapestry shade because you know we were talking about the stitch direction and that made me think mm. oh yes uh tapestry shading so tapestry shading is all your stitches are vertical and it's really good for i think it's really good for buildings because mm. everything you get loads of you know you get loads of straight lines and a lot of vertical lines in a building so i really like using it for that it can be used in drapery and clothing it was used on clothing victorian embroidery to get the drapes um possibly called tapestry shading because 
the stitches are vertical so therefore it could you could sort of say it looks like a tapestry which if you go and look very very closely at a tapestry which is woven mm. it's got these kind of straight vertical lines mm. um but you know it's just vertical stitches yeah. I, 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 I like doing it you only have to think about one angle instead of changing your angle so I find that quite quite good yeah you also split stitches easy. only at the top oh. and then you oh. can just you know you don't have to do the split stitch other yeah. parts would you do talking about the split stitch which as we were saying goes it's not <clears throat> kind of gives you a nicer edge and something's kind of it's almost like a foundation isn't it that mm. you can stitch around and it makes your edge look much neater but i suppose yeah. you can also make something look a little bit more raised because mm. actually we didn't talk about the order of work no so i was just thinking um, that a, a flat yeah. i know we keep saying a flower but it's just an easy re reference so you would start at the like the back and work towards the front of so you've got your foreground which you do last don't you yeah. mm -hmm. so you would work once you've done all the background petals work your split stitch around the foreground petal and that'll kind of raise that help to sort of raise the edge a bit mm. yeah so that I guess also um in the same kind of way we should say if we had a flower for example you also start on the outside edge and mm. walk towards the center so you work towards oh, the growing yeah. point and generally that means you are decreasing your stitches which actually is much easier than increasing your stitch. So if you've got a flower, as Becky said, you, you do your back petal first, then you work around and you finish off with your top petal. And that's the same for any subject in long and short. You start with the back and go to the front and you start from the outside, usually of an area and go to the inside. So usually an area with the, the row with the most stitches and then decrease. That doesn't always work. Obviously things are different shapes, but it's so much easier to decrease your stitches than try and put them into a row neatly. If you're decreasing, you just don't have so many and it's much easier and it looks much smoother. So if you're doing a flower, do start on the outside edge of a petal, go towards the center of the flower. It's much easier, much quicker, looks smoother. And you, you can keep the angle much better as well than if you went the other way, starting in the center. And would you start in the mid, middle kind of thing and work yeah. around yeah I'd start in the center and then fan stitches to each side start in the middle go one way then go the other um and work down to the center yeah again only because it's easier to do and quicker and you can kind of keep check on your angle that way yeah it's a good yeah. idea I start with a pointy bit first and then you <laughs> yeah. can just just you can just you know stitch along the middle stitch and you can, I've done it before where I've, I suppose you have to be confident about what colour you're using, but I've um, put stitches in spaced out mm. um, to get the angle and then gone back and filled in. Yeah, well, I would, do, yeah, I think if you're, if you know what you're doing, that is a really good way. If you don't, if you're a beginner, if you leave gaps, sometimes mm. you leave too much, they overlap. Yeah um or you don't fill them in so i'd say mm -hmm. to start off try and put your stitches next to each other maybe just, yeah. that's just my 
how I would teach teach it. Because you can draw the angle on yeah. to the yeah. fabric, can't you? Because it's all going to get covered up. Yeah, often people yeah. do that. The stitch yeah. direction, yeah, yeah, as helpful. listening everybody thank you hope you've enjoyed our the start of our new series and on to becky thanks for listening see you again soon bye bye, bye. bye.